Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to John chapter 21. I'll begin reading at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Now, we'll just pause here to remember that the last time we saw the disciples, they were in Jerusalem, but now they are in Galilee. The Sea of Tiberias is just another name for the Sea of Galilee. John doesn't tell us how they got there. He just says that these things happened after this, which establishes sequence but does not provide any details. Mark 14, 28 fills in some of the gaps. In that passage, before he died, Jesus said, After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Obviously, that happened. And now John recalls a particular story from those events. Verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I think I've probably said before in this series that we read the Bible to learn about God, to learn about us, and to learn about how God saves us through the person and work of Christ. So, whenever we're reading any text in Scripture, we're always on the lookout for insights in any or all of those categories. And certainly, this story tells us some interesting things about people. We notice, of course, that people are different. Once again, we see John thinking, and we see Peter acting. And both can be marvelous in their own way. Yet You have to appreciate Peter's zeal. Seeing the Lord, he cast himself into the sea. We don't have any reason to suspect that Peter was a particularly good swimmer, but we have every reason to admire his zeal and his eagerness to be with the Lord. 
He was also apparently a very large and physical man. Verse 11 says that he single-handedly hauled the massive catch of fish up out of the boat and onto the shore. Jesus was a man's man, and he attracted thinkers and doers. Thanks be to God. But of course, the story wasn't included primarily to teach us about people. It was included as further evidence that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. He was not a spirit. He could catch fish, make a fire, and serve breakfast. This text doesn't explicitly say that Jesus ate the fish, although that is clearly implied. Luke is less subtle. In another post-resurrection appearance, he records that they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Luke 24, 42-43. Jesus did not rise from the dead as a spirit. He rose as a fish-eating, breakfast-serving, fire-making human being. Thanks be to God. Verse 15 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. I remember hearing several sermons as a young boy that went into great lengths concerning the different Greek words that lie behind Jesus' questions to Peter. Do you love me more than these? And do you love me? And so forth. Scholars now agree that the words Jesus used in the dialogue are essentially interchangeable. Just like how we tend to avoid using the same word over and over again in a sentence or paragraph, so too Peter and Jesus seem to have employed overlapping terms throughout their discourse. The point of the conversation, happily, has very little to do with the secret meaning of Greek words, and it is perfectly accessible to the person reading it today in an English translation. Jesus is very gently restoring Peter after his terribly embarrassing, thrice-uttered public failure. Before Peter was filled with the Spirit, his life was marked by misunderstanding and personal weakness. But afterwards, on the other side of the resurrection and Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter was indeed the rock that Jesus always knew he would be. And that should encourage us. We are not now in Christ who we once were. And neither are we yet what we will one day be. But if we are His, and if we are filled with His Spirit, 
then we will become what he has made us and saved us and called us to be by one degree of glory to the next. Thanks be to God. It is also interesting to note how Jesus describes the pastoral ministry. Feed my lambs, he says in verse 15. Tend my sheep, he says in verse 16. Feed my sheep, he says in verse 17. These are obviously overlapping imperatives. In some, they seem to communicate that the job of the pastor is to feed God's people the word with a concern both for new believers, lambs, and mature saints, sheep. Hear that. Sometimes pastors operate as if they get to choose. Some pastors prefer to preach at the 101 level. They're constantly preaching the same sort of merged lane, introductory level sermons week after week after week. They never go deep for fear that they might leave some newcomers behind. Other pastors preach as though everyone in their church has had three years of seminary training and advanced instruction in Greek and Hebrew. They throw out big words that are never defined, and they assume intimate familiarity with first century Greco-Roman culture. Obviously, Jesus is telling us to preach along the entire continuum of discipleship. He is telling us to remember the little ones and to remember the big ones too. They all matter. And they all need to be well-fed. He's also telling us to give appropriate attention to the overall health and management of the flock. Tend my sheep, he says. A pastor needs to know how many sheep he has. And he needs to know if any have gone missing. He needs to know which sheep are getting old and how fast and how far they can reasonably be expected to walk in any given day. These are things that any shepherd would attend to. How much more when we are shepherding men and women, boys and girls, on behalf of Almighty God? A wise pastor pays close attention to the full range of his listed duties. It is also worth noting that Jesus here assumes that individual Christians will require instruction and oversight. We live in an era of rebellion and distrust towards all institutions. So it might be helpful to recall that this particular institution, the church, was instituted by Jesus Christ for our good and his everlasting glory. It is, therefore, to state the obvious, not optional. It is helpful. It is necessary. And it is good. Now, that is not to say that every church in the world is good. Some are bad. Some neglect their duties. Some shepherds eat the sheep. But that doesn't invalidate the institution. It just means that you have to exercise some discernment. But to be very clear here, there is no such thing as believing without belonging in biblical Christianity. Jesus puts his sheep in a flock under various and particular shepherds. And that was his idea. Thanks be to God. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. 
So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? (laughs) Oh, dear Peter. Uh, It does seem that prior to receiving the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, this poor brother suffered terribly from foot-in-mouth disease. Having just been restored to the pastoral ministry, he immediately succumbs to pastoral jealousy. What about that man? Every pastor asks God that question at some point or another in his life. What about that man? Why is his church so much bigger than mine? Why is he on the radio and I am not? Why do so many read his blog and so few read mine? Every pastor knows those questions. And every pastor needs to hear the Lord's answer. What is that to you? You follow me. Mind your own business, brother pastor. You have no idea what that other man's life is really like. You you don't know his challenges or his blessings. You see through a glass darkly. So you should just mind your own business and get on with the task at hand. That is good counsel, brother pastor, for you as well as for me. Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. These last two verses have generally been understood as the written endorsement of John's gospel by John's church elders. We think that John wrote at the encouragement of his elders because he was approaching the time of his death. John had probably preached every Lord's Day by recounting one of these stories and then fleshing out their various implications and applications, and his church was worried that these stories would be lost when John passed from the earth. So they asked him to write them down. And here at the end, they give their endorsement. John was one of the disciples, they say. He saw Christ upon the cross. He saw the empty tomb. He ate breakfast with the risen Lord. He saw these things and he has written these things so that we too, through his witness, might see and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. This is the witness of the church. This is the gospel of John, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you would like to support this program, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes as it will help other people find and access these materials. If you're looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find our entire library of content over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes store or on Google Play. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, just go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right-hand corner. You can also contribute through the Into the Word app. We hope to connect with you again really soon right here for another episode of Into the Word.